Well, I have about 150 pictures to show you, but I'm only going to show you three. And here's why. Uh, we don't have that much time. And I have, a, I think, a powerful message from God's Word that had just, you know, worked all over me all week. So I'm excited to share it with you. But the other reason is, is you're all invited right after service today to get in your cars and move from exit 19, where we are right here on Union Center, go north on I-75 to exit 24, make a right at the exit, make a right at the road and a right into our parking lot, and then look at where we are in our new facility. This week, we just purchased um, all of the metal working, all the studs, all the stud stabilizers, all the hardware to get all of the walls built in our new facility. And so they'll be delivered this week and things are rolling. It's a very exciting time. This is your last chance to look at it before we really start building new stuff. We want you to see it. Please come today. But I want to show you three pictures. So guys, would you throw up the first one, please? Throw up that first picture. This right here, what you're looking at is looking from the check-in hallway of our elementary area. Kids is getting a major upgrade, and you see it what, you can't really see it that well right now, but you'll see it if you come. Please come. There's three big areas here. There's a check-in area, there's a small group area, there's a kids' worship area, where kids are going to hear at a level they can understand about the truth and the love of Jesus. It's going to be phenomenal. Major upgrade. I mean, our kids' team already does a spectacular job here in this facility, and they're going to be able to take that heart and take that effort and do so much more. All right, there's one more picture. Go ahead, guys, if you don't mind. All right, so what you're seeing here is the other side of the building, what is becoming the preschool area. So there's going to be a preschool side as you enter the building on your left, an elementary side on your right. And the preschool area is getting a major upgrade from anything we've ever had. Again, they do an amazing job loving, holding, nurturing, and talking to and singing with our kids right now at a very young age and just getting them used to being around the things of God and hearing about the things of God and from people who love them. But they're going to have an amazing tool to do that in just a matter of a few weeks. It's great. And so then there's one more uh, photo, I believe, gentlemen. This is looking from our lobby into what will be uh, right now the coffee area, as you can see. It's going to be a major upgrade. And then yesterday, the entire ceiling was blacked out. It looks amazing. So I want you to come by and take a look at that. And if you haven't given anything, please, please step up and help us. We, we, We don't hesitate to ask because we really believe in this. And we really believe that God's going to use this powerful tool. All right? So I don't know if you're like me, but did you sense as we were singing worship, those of you that were here on time, wink, wink, nod, nod, did you sense as we were um, doing worship together, did you sense that there was just, you know, I I don't know how how you phrased this stuff, but when I was growing up, we just called it God's presence. There was like a little extra energy there. I just want to acknowledge that. See, that's one of the powerful things that happens when God's people come together. We turn our hearts up towards the Lord. God has this way of showing up. He tells us in his word that wherever two or three are gathered in his name, well, then he's there. It's like you don't have to wonder. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to hope for it. He's there. And then when he's honored and lifted up, when, in the Bible calls it when God's glorified, when, when he's made radiant is what that word means, then he's present. Well, we've been talking for the last several weeks about what happens when who you really are, you, yourself, interacts with Jesus. There are seven powerful statements Jesus made in the Bible. They all begin with the words, I am. And so we're calling this series, Me, Myself, and I Am. What happens when I have an intersection in my life with Jesus in a powerful way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the resurrection and the life. And we believe that an encounter with Jesus, well, that's your destiny. It's not just your destiny. It's the destiny for every person in your family and everybody that lives in your neighborhood. And so we've been exploring 
How do we remove obstacles so that you can and I can experience all that God wants us to experience in this life in a way that leaves us forever changed for eternity, but also right here, right now. And I got to tell you, if the comments on your Connect card, unless you folks are lying, and if you are, please keep it up. I've been feeling great. But unless you guys are lying, it's, I mean, God has really been at work. We've just had powerful testimonies. People have said, look, there's been a new area of my life in which God has shined light, and it's, it's made an impact on me. Some of you have made very tough decisions. And you've had conversations, you've made some changes, and it's not all worked out, but you've taken a very clear step in the right direction. And God is meeting you there. I want to share with you a particular intersection today of how God breaks into our life and you're being aware of it, you're being sensitive to it, you're being participating in that moment. Well, it can make all the difference in your life. It's one of these golden nuggets of walking with Jesus. Now, all through the Bible, what we're going to talk about today happened. Before I take you to the Bible story, that I think is just powerful. And if you have a middle school kid, like a middle school boy like I do, this is like where you want them to start reading the Bible because it really, like, it'll, it'll get to them. You'll see why in a minute, all right? But so middle school boys, this is the passage for them, okay? But, but beyond just this passage, all through your Bible, people had intersections just like the one I'm going to describe. But before I get there, let, let me ask you a question. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a relationship with a friend or maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And... And you thought you had it figured out. You thought you knew them. You thought you understood who they were at the deepest levels. And then you get information contrary to what you think you know about them. Now, that can be pretty troubling. I've had the opportunity to sit down with many people who've been going through relationships, thinking about getting married, and then one of them will contact me and they'll say, I just want to chat. Something happened. And then I'll hear the story unfold, and it goes something like this pretty regularly. This is not unusual at the beginning ends of of a relationship. It goes something like this. You know, I thought they knew them, and then I saw this thing happen. We were having an argument, and it went in this direction. I never really thought that's the kind of way he or she would act when we we had conflict. Or I, I thought we had this thing figured out, and then my friend told me this thing about her, and now I don't know what to do because I thought maybe she was the one. What do you do? What do you do? In those moments in life when you have a decision to make, you have an opportunity to press into, or you have a challenge to overcome, how do you bring the very power and wisdom of God into that very moment? And Jesus said, for instance, that he would go with us. One of the ways in the New Testament that's described is that he says it this way, that, that when I'm gone back to heaven, I'm going to leave you the gift of the Holy Spirit and he's going to come alongside you. Where I've been with you, he'll be in you so that wherever you go, you'll have the very active presence of God in your life. What? That's a powerful gift from God that he's given every believer in Jesus. The moment you put your faith and trust in him, God's spirit takes up residence in your life. We've kind of shortened that um, form of describing that. And we say basically like this, that Jesus comes into your heart, right? And so like every little kid wants to know, where exactly is his house? And, And that's not really, the idea is that he's a part of you. He's in you and he's with you. Well, how do you grab hold of that presence of Jesus in your life at those moments when You don't necessarily know what the outcome's going to be. You don't have all of the data points. 
to indicate exactly what the future is going to look like. Or the data points you have begins to paint a picture that's different than the one you thought you were headed to. How do you appropriate the power, the presence, the love, the truth, the wisdom of God into those moments? One of the tools that the Bible describes that God has given each of us let me tell you how we used to describe it in my heritage. Somebody would be going along. I think, I think you'd be able to relate, even if this language is a little foreign to you. Somebody would be going along in life, and they would face one of those opportunities or challenges or promises or, or, or um, problems or a decision that they had to make. And, and somebody would be counseling with them or talking with them. A friend would simply say something like this. Well, do you have any, and here was the phrase. It's going to sound a little foreign. Do you have any checks in your spirit? A check in your spirit. So you're like, well, what, what the heck is a check in your spirit? Well, it's kind of an old-time kind of insider language for Christians to describe like an internal sense of, whoa, oh, wait, stop, pause button, yellow light, hold up. Before we do the thing, before we make a decision, before we go there, we might want to just pause because I've got a, in soccer terminology, I've got a flag on the field, right? The referee has blown the whistle. Something is asking from internal inside of me for me to stop before I go further. The old timers in my tradition, many of you, they call that a check in your spirit. Something inside of you. Now here's the truth that we believe in our church, right here on the screen behind me. That God takes full responsibility for the life wholly devoted to him. God takes Full responsibility for the life wholly devoted to him. So that when you commit your life and you begin to press all of it, that there isn't a single area of your life that God isn't interested in. That God doesn't want to lean in with you, walk with you, guide you, direct you, lead you, provide for you, open doors of opportunity for you, shut doors that you don't need to walk through give you wisdom in the moment that draws from his well that is non-ending that runs deep infinite wisdom not simply the wisdom that you and i have that at best is limited god takes full responsibility for the life wholly devoted to him that's why every week we urge you if there's a single part of your life that you haven't given over to jesus if there's a hidden part of your heart that is still under your control that you haven't submitted to him For your own benefit, let God have that area of your life. Because God takes full responsibility for the life wholly devoted to Him. And so in that God taking responsibility for your life part, there's this thing, this deposit of Him that He's put in every human being. In shorthand, we call it a a conscience. It probably runs a little deeper than the common understanding of conscience, but that's close. Those circles overlap. It's this internal radar at moments of decision, at moments of dealing with conflict, at moments of opportunity, at moments of challenge that says, as I walk through this, there's a deeper reality that I need to be paying attention to other than just my pleasure, other than just what I want in the moment. There's something more at stake here, and I probably want to pause long enough to deal with the thing. And think back over the decisions of your life, right? 
Somebody has said that life is nothing more than a series of decisions. And those decisions over the decades create a story. The story of your life is a function of the decisions you make. I think that's pretty accurate. I think that's a good way to describe. Think back at the decisions of your life. At the decisions, for instance, that you wish right now that you could go back and undo. I mean, what if? What if you hadn't ever dated her? (laughs) What if you never went there? What if you didn't move? Some of you like me, we have made decisions. And as we look back from our vantage point right now, we would love to go back in time and undo those decisions. Some of us, like as I think about decisions, you're thinking about decisions where you didn't necessarily grab hold of an opportunity. And right now, you're very grateful. Like maybe you even prayed and said, God, I'd like for this thing to happen. And it didn't quite materialize. And now as you look back, you sing along with the country song, thank God for unanswered prayers, right? I just referenced country music in a message, guys. This is, we're groundbreaking today. We're groundbreaking. This is like cutting edge, edgy church, all right? Um, but you're like, you're grateful. I mean, you can go back to moments where you're thinking, man, if we had done the thing, and all signs seem to be pointing in that direction, but had we done the thing, had I been with him, had I been with her, had I moved, had we taken the job, had we invested the money, had I signed the contract, you can think about all the things, and you're so grateful that it didn't happen. What if God has provided for us a tool in the middle of those moments where we're not just walking along the road of our life, but where he comes crashing in and creates an intersection? Your Bible describes that in several stories and talking about a conscience. It's why the Bible says you need to have a clear conscience. Keep it in good working order so that when it speaks into your life, you attend to it. Because the Bible describes a situation that if you don't listen to your conscience over time, now this is tragic, and I bet you know somebody like this. If you don't listen to your conscience over time, that deposit of God into your life to speak to you at times of decision and conflict and challenge. If you don't listen to it over time, then your conscience gets worn out. The the edges, the the defining shape and function of the thing gets worn. The, The biblical language is it gets seared. So that's not, sometimes not even recognizable. And people can do all kinds of crazy things as if it doesn't bother them because it doesn't bother them. Because long ago they quit listening to that thing that God put in them, the active work of his presence, deposited in your life. There's a great story in your Bible. In 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. I love these Old Testament stories. Because while Jesus isn't alive and on the earth yet, in the physical sense. He's very much in heaven. But all of them point to a future reality that every one of us, though we weren't alive in this story, every one of us can claim hold of God's work in our lives in the same way he worked back then. God made it clear that we could do that when he said, I'm the God that doesn't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. What was true of my character then is true of my character now. You can depend on me. And so in this story, you're going to hear about a young man by the name of David. We've talked a lot about David. I don't think I've ever referenced this particular passage. And let me set you up before we read it, just so you know. David is a little shepherd boy. And one day, the prophet comes to his house. And the prophet tells his father, bring all your sons. God has told me that one of your sons is going to be the future king. The king we have now 
His name is Saul. God's going to replace him. And God is so upset at Saul that he's not going to let any of Saul's sons be king. In fact, Jesse, David's dad, one of your sons will be king. So he brings in all the, the, the kids except for one. The youngest kid, he leaves out in the field. And the prophet looks at each son and says, not him, the oldest son. He looks like he should be. He's certainly handsome. He's wise. Internally, the prophet's saying it should be him, but God says, nope, not him. So he goes to the next one, and God says, not him. He goes to four sons, and finally the prophet says, wait, 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 wait. Are all of your sons here? And Jesse kind of, the dad says, I mean, our little one, he's out in the field. And, And the prophet says, go get him. They bring David in, and when David walks in the door, the prophet has this profound sense. There's the new king of Israel. There's, there's the one. So the coolest thing happens. The prophet opens up a horn of oil, which kind of represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and he pours the oil over David's head, and he declares in some profound way, I don't know, you are the future king of Israel. I don't know how it looks, but it was a profound moment. It was, you know, and then you know what they do? They tell David, now get back out in the field and watch the sheep. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. The promise is you're going to be king, but it's not yet. Oh, by the way, there's a sermon in that, that sometimes God will speak into your heart and give you a vision, and then he wants you to get ready for the thing before the thing comes along. That's what happened to David. David spends the next several years tending the sheep. Oh, and then a little event happens. Israel's in a battle. Saul's army is defeated. And there's an evil giant by the name of Goliath bringing shame on God's army. David's delivering cheese and various sausages to his brothers. And so he shows up at the field and he says, why are you guys hiding in in the tent? And they're like, because Goliath's out there. And David says, you let me at him. And so David... By the time it's done, he spins his, his sling. The stone hits Goliath, fells Goliath to the ground, grabs Goliath's sword, chops off his head, holds up the head, and he says, our God reigns. And from that moment, people start talking about how awesome David is. And now Saul's in charge, and Saul gets angry. And over the ensuing years, as David grows into a man, his popularity is growing, and Saul's is decreasing, and Saul is not happy, and Saul decides he's going to kill David. So David's men and him, like his band, they call them mighty men of valor. That's cool. Um, David's mighty men of valor can't can't live in the cities. They've got to hide in the mountains and and hide in the valleys and hide in the the countryside. And Saul gathers up an army of 3,000 men and they march into the mountains to hunt down David and they're going to kill him. Common story of political wrangling and power mongering. David, who is going to be king, he has a right to the throne, and Saul, who is the current king. And then this story, this story unfolds. So in your Bible, 1 Samuel 24, look at it behind me on the screen. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, so he's had a little skirmish with their common enemy. He says, David is in the desert of Engedi. Now, you and I don't know where that is, but the Bible was written at, to some degree as history. And so for the folks that originally read this, they knew exactly where this was, exactly what's going on. By the way, you understand that there isn't a single book typically that you pick up and read where you go, this book is truth. Everything in it is truth. And I'm going to read it because it's truth. And the reason I'm telling you that, the reason why I know we don't typically read books like that is I've never heard anybody say that. And I'm a reader. And I talk to readers. I don't say that. Some of you, you're, like, you're not reading your Bible. And some of you have an emotional reason for not reading your Bible because you don't think it's true. I just want to challenge you for a second. 
I don't know of any book you read and you go, before I read this book, I'm going to set my mind that every word in it is true and accurate to the fullest degree. And if it speaks to me, I'm going to be open. And if I don't like it, I'm just going to have to change. That's not how you read a book. So if you have an emotional barrier to reading the Bible, why don't you just read it like you read any other book? Because it's rich. Now, I believe it's not any other book. I believe it is true to the fullest degree and in an ultimate sense. But if you don't, don't rob yourself of the greatest piece of English literature ever written. Every major English writer has said that the single greatest piece of English literature is this Bible. And you're, an, you're not so smart if you think you're smart. And you won't engage the greatest piece of English literature just as a piece of literature. And who knows, you might find in it Maybe you don't find the greatest profile, but you might find great insight into the human condition. It's all good literature. Uh, that, that's my Bible punt for the day. So they're in the, the, in the, in the, in the area of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Whoa, crags of the wild goats. I, I don't know what that is, but if you were an original Israelite reading the story for the first time, you'd know where that was, and you'd go, oh yeah, we vacationed there last summer. It's, it was crags. It doesn't, do you just get the picture that this is like a wild and, 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 and kind of crazy place, a wilderness? Well, that's where David is hiding, and that's where Saul's men are pursuing him. So, in the next verse, he came to the sheep pens. I'm like, oh yeah, the sheep pens, we've been there. Along the way, and a cave was there. Oh, this is cool. You get the setting? You, you feeling it? And Saul went to, here it is, your, your junior high guys. Saul went to relieve himself. <laughs> yeah. Right there in your Bible. Oh my gosh. Right there. Saul went, now here's the deal. If you're a common foot soldier, you just relieve yourself there in the thing. That's what you do. But if you're the king, you don't go, excuse me, gentlemen, I got to see a man about a horse. You don't do that. You go, I've got some business. I'm going to go spend a little time in prayer up in the caves. You guys wait here on me. So Saul goes in a private place to do his business there and 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 the craziest wildest story ensues this is a story where like in one sense all the stars are aligning and if you're david you're thinking this is my divine opportunity every single thing is lining up for me to take my destiny all the details are lining up this is as we would say in christian ease this is a a god thing and of course, when you say that, what that means is anything that you wanted to do now, because it's a God thing, you have the full authority and privilege and opportunity from God to do the thing because your eyes and your wisdom and your insight and your sensitivities have told you it's a God thing. Clearly, this is what God wants for you. David's going to be in one of those moments, and I want you to see what he does because what he does, I think, sets a pattern that wise believers have followed. Foolish believers have ignored. Good Christians do what David did and you do understand there are a lot of bad Christians, don't you? They're going to heaven. You'll stand by them for eternity. But they don't really look much like Christ right now. It happens. I'm, I'm that guy a lot, so I'm not trying to throw stones here. So Saul went to relieve himself, and, and David and his men were far back in the cave. Now, have you ever like gone out of the sunlight into the darkness? You know, you know, it takes your eyes a while to adjust. So David and his men are hiding because 3,000 of Saul's best are out pursuing them. And they're in the back of the cave, David is, and his, some of his men. In fact, the, the previous chapter told us that they've disbanded. They're scared to death. And David says, look, just go find a cave and hide in it and wait. When Saul and his men have passed through, we'll reconvene. And out of all the caves in all of Israel, at that time, 
Saul happens to end up at the very cave David is in. It, crazy. Just crazy. And David's eyes have already adjusted so he can see. And Saul is just adjusting himself, you know, in a, in a, in a bit of a very vulnerable situation. And David and his men were far back in the cave. Now look at, look at the next verse. The men said, this is like David's mighty men of valor. This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. They're like, this is it. We've got him. His back is to us. The, you're going to hear that he's already disrobed, taken off his purple robe and his kingly crown and set him down. And he's over in another corner doing his thing. And they're like, this is it. We, he's not expecting a thing. He hasn't adjusted. He's in the most vulnerable position. This is your moment, David. You've got to do this. The stars have aligned. This is a God thing. Hmm. I'll give you the enemies. And then David crept up unnoticed. We're going to pause here for just a second. We'll come right back. David crept, David crept up. And I'm assuming that as he crept up, it doesn't explicitly say this, but I'm thinking with dagger in hand. We know he has a dagger in a moment. I'm thinking he's thinking, I'm going to take this man's life. Now, back in this day, life was not very meaningful. I mean, life came and went. Was a normal, death was a normal part of the reality. And in a warring environment like this, it wasn't unusual for crazy things, just like this story, as you would expect it to unfold, to happen. And David crept up with that knife, thinking, I bet when he started out, I'm taking my opportunity. This is a God thing. All the stars are aligned. I'd be a fool not to do it. But somewhere between that first step and when he got up next to where Saul was, in the direction of Saul, something began to shift inside of him. There was another voice beyond just the voice of opportunity, beyond just the voice of what would be enjoyable or pleasurable or fun, beyond just the voice of his own sense of purpose, beyond his own sense of sense. Something else was beginning to speak to David. And somewhere between his first step and his last step, he must have listened. I believe that God has put in each one of your lives a deposit of his spirit that operates in the same way. That when opportunities and challenges and decisions have to be made, when you don't know all the information, when you don't have all the data points, and when you can't predict the exact outcome, although we all think we can, don't we? We all think that our minds are able to grab all of the data and we know exactly what's going to happen. If we do A, B will happen. Somewhere, as David took his first step to his last step, something happened inside of him. And he decided, in this case, he wasn't going to murder Saul. Something happened. The men are cheering him on. All of his buddies are saying, do the thing. And he decides, I'm not going to do it. The Bible tells us that he creeps up unnoticed. And instead of slicing Saul's throat, he cuts off a corner of the robe. The image here would be that Saul puts the kingly robes in one spot and he moves over to do his... And, and David, instead of going beeline for Saul, he goes over and he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. And then the Bible tells us something that's just profound. And I want us to just spend two minutes exploring it because I think it might open up a key to making sure that you and I regularly experience the intersection of God's Spirit in our lives in moments when it really matters. Now, he's always there, but our ability to grab hold of it, to appropriate it, to bring the impact of his being present with us into the moment, something that's elusive, this is a key. Afterward, now listen, listen to what David did. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken. 
He was overcome with a sense of, in one version says, shame. He was conscious for having cut off a corner of his robe. And if you read your Bible, I would encourage you to go home and read this. The Bible tells us exactly why David was conscience stricken. Here's how the rest of the story goes, and then we'll talk about the so what for about a minute. The rest of the story goes like this. Saul finishes his business. David walks back to his men in a hush. Saul leaves, and the caravan begins to move out. The 3,000 men, Saul typically rode on a large um, donkey, and then, you know, being the king, got the caravan behind him, got the guards, and they're riding out. And when they get down the hill from the cave, David walks out to the edge of the cave, and he says, Saul, everybody stops, and they turn. And the impact of what almost happened hits everybody like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh, that's the cave where Saul just was. And now David is emerging. And what does he have in his hand? He holds up this little piece of cloth. And he says to Saul, I'm not your enemy. I don't want to do you in. And besides, even if I do, and then he says the profound part, God puts you in place as king. And until God moves you, who am I to take his place and remove you from power? God is the one who rises people up and makes them fall. I, in effect, I can't play God here. And then he goes into this strange language that has been abused. Depending on your church background, you may have heard this. He goes into this strange language saying, you're God's anointed, you're God's chosen, and I'm not going to touch God's chosen. There was something inside of David that says, what God is doing is more important than what I want done. And in the moment of decision, and here it is, he paused long enough for God to get his attention. He paused long enough for God to get his attention. We talked last week how the heart can be deceitful. And the, you're an incredible salesman, and I'm an incredible salesman in convincing myself that the thing I want is exactly what I need. But in all of those moments, God, I believe, I think if you look back, if you're over like 15 in the room, this has happened to you, you can look back and say, in that moment, I had this internal check in my spirit to at least slow down, to consider the thing. I mean, before I put my name in the contract, I had an internal, oh, I don't know if I should do the thing. That's God's spirit. Now, maybe you need to sign, maybe you need to date, maybe you need to marry her, maybe you need to buy the house, move, do the business. I don't know. But good and wise Christians know to pay attention to that still, small voice. And instead of running over the thing and running towards what we want that we're convinced we need, wise, good, the kind of Christians we look at and go, man, there's a level of spiritual maturity there that is elusive to me we all look at them and say what they have in common is when they get that check in here they don't just step over it they pause long enough to say now god are you are you speaking to me here is this pause from you is it just my fear what is it and they quit listening to the people around them who say just do the thing and they quit listening to the people who say just don't do the thing and they Winnow out every other voice just long enough to make sure that if God's trying to talk to them, they're receptive to hear it. At the end of your bad decision, whatever it was, can you reflect back on a time in that before you ever went all the way in that decision where you said, 
I don't know if I should be here. I don't know if I should do this. Did you, did you, have you ever had a check in your spirit? Most of us have. That's how you bring the presence of God that's already in your life to bear on the moment. You pause long enough to say, now God, if it takes me 12 hours or three days, I'm going to get to the bottom of what's really going on as I have a hesitancy about this. And some of those hesitancies, here's what will happen. God will use it and he'll turn you in a different direction and it will save you. It will. For some of you, you'll deal with some emotional component and you'll still move forward. But when you move forward now, there will be a freedom and a boldness and a confidence. One of the reasons why I want you to get acquainted with God's word is God often uses the pause and then he fills that pause moment with truth from his word and the two combined becomes a powerful arsenal for you and I to go to at those moments of decision where we don't have all the data points and we can't predict the future exactly. You've you've experienced it. And I have too. And in those moments, it's not like the worship that happened in this room a few moments ago. It's going to happen again. But it very much is the very presence of God tapping on your shoulder saying, hey, 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 before you step, before you give in, before you listen to them, why don't you, why don't you just get clarity with me? God takes full responsibility for the life wholly devoted to him. And so he wants to help you. He wants to come alongside and lead and guide and direct. But if we can't pause long enough for him to speak, we will miss it. And you and I, when we do that, we're costing ourselves a price that we can't even anticipate what we're going to pay. And some of you, honestly, listen, this breaks my heart to say this. Some of us have gone so long without being responsive to the spirit of God's, to God's spirit, to his promptings, that the edges of our sensor have been worn down and it doesn't quite fit and it doesn't give shape like it should. I don't know if your conscience is, as the Bible says, fully seared so that you're walking headlong in sin and you don't even realize it. And when a friend comes to you and says, hey, wait, 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 listen, listen, listen. Do you understand that this is like a Bible deal and you're a believer and I'm a believer and I'm not trying to judge you, but this is black and white. Your first response is anger as opposed to humility over the very obvious thing. Because along the way, you've been ignoring. You know how you fix that? that. You know how you get that thing fixed so that when the intersection happens, God can do his work in your life? You humble yourself. You admit you're wrong. You find a place alone with God. Maybe you physically humble yourself and you get on your knees before him. That's the way the old timers used to pray because when they got on their knees, they knew that that their posture represented externally what was really going on on the inside. I don't know that you have to get on your knees, but I know if we don't humble ourselves before the Lord and make room for him to speak, and if we're not rabidly sensitive to him, we miss it. We make decisions we shouldn't make. We, we, We don't grab hold of opportunities that God wants us to grab hold of. The pause, that tension, I don't know if I should, it deserves your attention. 
right now. Is there a tension in your life that deserves, needs your attention? Is there a tension that needs your attention right now? Why don't you grab out your connect card? Let's take a few steps together as a congregation. If there's a tension that needs your attention, why don't you just slow down long enough? Just listen. I'm not saying weeks. I'm just saying long enough to let God come in, reveal himself, and you do a little sincere and honest business with him and figure out what he wants from you. See, I think this presence of God, this active work of God in your life is available to everybody. And the Bible tells us exactly how to begin that. It, it describes you willfully aligning your will with God. God, I'm not perfect. I've been a sinner. I've been going my way. But I want you to lead my life. I want you to become the Lord of my life. Some people say that that's when you get saved or you become born again or you become a believer. We, we say that you become a follower of Jesus is kind of the common language we use. We mean all the same thing. So if you're in the room today and you'd like to accept Jesus as the Lord of your life and your Savior for the first time, why don't you check next step A and say, God, I want to do it with you. I want to do it with you. I want, in fact, I want you to lead it. That's you. You can check the boxes and act your faith. And then we're going to communicate with you very simply, informally, r- really, in a non-pointed way, but with clarity of what that means and how you can take your first steps. We'd love to help you on your journey with Jesus. Next step B is, I want to get baptized. Some of you, listen, every time you do a baptism inside of you, you're going, I know it's me. I know I need to do it. I oh, there it came and went. Oh, I'll do it next time. And it comes and you're like, I know I need to, and there it goes again. Listen, is it maybe, is, I'm just asking, could that be God stirring that up in you? Listen, if it is, what if you just took enough time to figure that out and then you took a step in his direction? So if you need to get baptized, check the box. Go public with your faith. Who knows what doors, what 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 realities that's going to open for you as you go bold with your faith with Jesus and say, I'm just, I'm with him and I want everybody to know it. Next step, C. Anybody would say, I'm going to tend to a tension that I've been avoiding and I'm going to do it this week. There's a tension that needs attention. And I've been, a, but this week, I'm going to carve out some time to do business with God. Maybe you're going to pray. Maybe you're going to seek a little advice from a, a wise believer. Listen, don't go to bad Christians and ask advice. Go to somebody who's not perfect, but leaning in. So just, give me your perspective. And then take their perspective and say, God, is, is that your word to me? Is that, find the Bible passages that deal with the thing. God, is, is this... Is there something in this that I need to be listening to? I'm going to pause long enough, God, to hear you. And do it, do it this week. Don't put it off. All right, next, next step, D. I believe that my conscience could use a little fine-tuning. I'm going to make steps this week to surround myself with truth. The antidote to a seared or, or an undefined conscience is to surround yourself with truth. In God's word, in the counsel of godly people, in prayer, in humility. Listen, if that's you, just be honest with God. I need you to, to sharpen this thing up for me. It, it, it needs a little overhaul. Check the box and in humility come to him. And the next step, E. I'm going to come and see the new Four Corners home today immediately after the service. Go ahead and check the box. And then when we leave, just bring your kids over. And I think you're going to really, really get a sense of what God's going to be doing among our congregation over the next few months and 
weeks as we take our new home and see God open up doors for us. Why don't you pray with me right now, and then let's worship. Lord Jesus, you're an amazing God. God, we've come to this place this Sunday, and some of us have had great weeks. We've been able to bask in your blessing. We've been reminded of the joy you bring into our lives. Thank you for that. And God, some of us have come to this place today, and we are travel weary. (laughs) We're worn, and we need refreshing. Thank you, Father, that you're the God who is the bread of life. That you are the well we can drink from and never thirst again. Thank you for being our provider, our sustainer, our comfort, and our guide. Now, Lord, some of us are going to do business with you as we sing and over the next few days. God, we ask that your spirit would direct and guide. And that while we'll never be perfect Christians, God, we we can honor you with our lives. And we can grow in our faith. We can grow up and be mature. God, that's what we want. We want to glorify you with our lives, not by earning it with you, but by demonstrating how serious we take you in our lives. We pray this all in your name, the powerful name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen.